welcome to the Glow Podcast with Dr. Land. Our purpose is to inspire and equip you to live a purposeful and maximized life that makes a glowing difference in your world to God's glory. For more inspiring content from Dr. Land, visit our website at www.pastorland.com and follow at Pastor Land on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Now let's listen in and be inspired. So I am going to, uh, you know, share, continue what I started uh, sharing last week. Our theme for the year is, it's what? It's a God show. It's a God show. From John chapter 20, verse 20. It says, when they saw, when he showed them his hand and he showed them his side, the disciples saw, when they saw him, they were overjoyed. When they saw the Lord, they were overjoyed. So God says, I'm going to show myself. And you'll be full of joy. I'm going to show you myself. And you will be full of joy. Also in 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. Throughout the whole earth. To show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. So God says, I'm going to show myself strong on your behalf in 2020. And the the 2020s. Or the, this decade is a decade of chances, a decade of opportunity. And I'm going to show myself. I'll give you chances. I'll give you opportunities. You are going to be a show. You will see my show, but your life is also going to be a show for me. Can I get an amen there? Yes. Amen. I'm going to keep reminding you all throughout the year. I'm going to be already experiencing the God show in your life. Can I get some? All right. It looks like three people are experiencing it. I say, how many of you are experiencing the God show? Yeah. Okay, some people are now waking up. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So this month, we are um, we are dealing with the theme, show pieces. Show pieces. Show pieces. So the way the church is designed is we, we want people to have a balanced diet. So we don't just go teaching on one thing throughout the year. We try to touch on different aspects of our discipleship and our Christian life. So in January, we started by talking about our strong connection to God. Say, let God, you know, God, you know, we had our 21 days of prayer and fasting. In February, we focused on our connections to one another. And so we had a love show, talked about relationships. We had sweethearts. We had, you know, it was so much fun. Now this month, we're talking about our relationship with our environment. We're talking about the Great Commission. We're talking about the assignment that God has given us to be a blessing to the world and to proclaim the gospel. When I finished my message for last month and we talked about brokenness, I made a statement. I said, now, identifying your brokenness, focusing on yourself and, you know, just dealing with all the baggages and all that will help you a lot. But I said, what is going to help you the most is when you turn your brokenness into purpose. When you turn into purpose, if you were broken, you begin to minister to broken people. If you were sick, you begin to minister to other people who are sick. If you are in pain, you minister to other people who are, who are in pain. You begin to share people. That's the surest path to healing. Because the Bible says that either waters will be watered also himself. Proverbs 11.25, the liberal soul will be made fat 
and he that waters will be watered also himself. Some people have asked me before, um, they said, they, you know, they've asked me at different times, that Pastor Lan, you know, we've known you over the years, but we've we hardly ever seen you discouraged. You're always out there preaching. You're always out there talking to people. You're always out there, you know, sharing and all that. I'll tell them, I said, that's the secret. <laughs> because I'm out there sharing. I'm not in there, you know, sitting down and sulking. I'm out there. I discovered a long time ago that if you want to get out of your problem, get out of your problem. You're going to, you know, get out and begin to minister to other people. It's from this. The general soul will be made rich. And he who waters will be watered also himself. So when you water people, when you water, you are going to be naturally watered. You can never see a pipe that is delivering water complaining of thirst. Because the water just keeps flowing. Do you get what I'm saying? If things have stopped flowing in your life, maybe you stopped giving out. You know, people think, you see, when they, when they talk about spiritual things, they think it's like the natural thing where, there is called, where it's called the law of diminishing return. It doesn't work like that in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the more you do, the more it grows. That's what the parable of the talent is all about. To him that has, more will be given. But to him who does not have, even that which he has will be taken away from him. It's in the natural where there's a law of diminishing return. Of the increase of his kingdom of peace, there shall be no end. That's how the kingdom works. You, you give out, you give out, you will, be, you will get more. You give out information, you will get more information. You give out gratitude, you get more gratitude. Whatever you give out will continue to increase in your life. That is the simple secret. So you need to, you know, I love the way the, um, is it the message translation? It says the world of the, of this verse, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Please give me the message. It says, uh, no, no, maybe it's the NLT, the NLT. I love that. One of them, he said, the world of, those who, that we are, those who help others are helped. Or is it the one before? He said, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Can we try the NLT and see? Yes, very good. He said, the world of the generous gets what? Larger and larger. Larger and larger. But the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. That's a simple secret. People make the mistake. They say, you know what? I'm going through some things right now. I think I need to withdraw. Mm -mm. You are meant to withdraw as a regular thing, your Sabbath. Do you get what I'm saying? Everybody must have a sabbatical. The, living, the leading lights will teach you on that. You need to have a sabbatical and all that. You know, but you don't spend all your time. And you don't run away when you have problems. When you have issues, that's when you come out. They said Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ practiced it. They said when John the Baptist was killed. Now, John the Baptist, remember who John the Baptist was to Jesus? Number one, John the Baptist was his cousin. Number two, John the Baptist was the only person who believed in his ministry then, who said, this is the Son of God, this is, you know, the Lamb of God and all that. And then he was beheaded. Do you know how Jesus responded? I don't know if you have read it before, how Jesus responded. They said Jesus Christ went somewhere. Like, he, he just left the place, took the boat and went somewhere. And they said a whole lot of people just gathered around him and he healed them all. In other words, he... he he focused on ministering to attack, you know, the devil, to attack the discouragement, to attack. He said he healed them all. Like, like oh, you did that to me. Come on, be healed, be healed. <laughs> Amen. He healed them all. We need to rise up out of our pains and become healers. We need to become comforters. 
of other people. I tell you, it is possible. You have known, some of you have known me for many, 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 many years. You've known us. That's what we have always done. Everything that we have, we always make it available. Because the more you make available to minister to others, the more you have. You don't withdraw. You open up. Healers can be wounded. You know? Healers can be wounded. And part of the healing is when you open up and you share your pain. And you share your comfort. And you minister to others. So I'm calling you this month to become a showpiece for God. I'm calling you this month to use your own story to touch somebody else. And I'm going to give you some practical ways in which you can do it. Amen. So, so I, I started the sermon last week, which I titled, How to Become an Iconic Believer. How to Become an Iconic my, my dream and desire for every city light and everyone watching me online right now is that you become an iconic believer. Now, when I talk about an iconic believer, I explain what I mean, um, you know, by iconic. In the book of um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where it, say, you know, it says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. I said the word image there in the Greek version of the Old Testament is the word icon. It's where we get the word icon. So God says, I want to make, let, let, let's make man as our icon. Let's make man as a, let's let man represent us. And when I say man, I'm talking about man and woman. Let, you know, let mankind represent us. Let them be a, a picture of who we are. Let them, let everywhere they are, let them represent us and let them allow, through them, let people be able to interact with us. Jesus, the model icon, the model son, he said it this way. He said, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. And then he eventually said, as my father has sent me, so have I sent you. So if everybody saw the father by meeting Jesus, what he's saying is that when people meet you also, they should see the father. That is what Christ-likeness is all about. You know that when people meet you, they come in contact with Christ. They come in contract, contact with the love of Christ, with the compassion of Christ, with the power of Christ, with the ability of Christ. What Jesus will do in any situation we are supposed to be the one representing him now. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are his hand. We are his feet. He doesn't use his feet to kick people. He doesn't use his hand to push people down. He uses his hand to heal the sick. Look at, at what the, the model icon in the book of Acts chapter 10 verse 38. Acts 10 verse 38. The Bible says something about Jesus Christ. The kind of life that he lived. Acts chapter 10 verse 38. It says... Jesus, Acts 10, 38, Jesus arrived from Nazareth, anointed by the Holy Spirit, ready for action. He went through the country, helping people, helping everyone who was beaten down by the devil. He was able to do all this because God was with him. So he was iconic. He went everywhere helping people beaten down by the devil. And the devil beats people down. The devil beats. I was telling my wife, I said, oh, this week, like for me, like this week was just so, and some of my weeks are like that, where people that have been beaten up by the devil, I get calls, I get texts, I get all kinds of stuff, and, you know, just dealing with it. And I thank God because God is helping people. God is helping. I, I love it and everything. But, you know, a lot of people are suffering. And I'm not just talking about people in church and all that. A lot of people are suffering. 
A lot of people are suffering, and we are the hand of Jesus. We are the one that we're supposed to continue this. We're supposed to go about all the place healing and helping people who have been beaten down by the devil. We're supposed to help them. It's an opportunity. There's no better life. There's no more adventurous life than a life that you live focused on helping people. That's what life is all about. It's about you being a blessing. It's about you solving problems. Amen. Hallelujah. So, so an iconic believer is a believer who everywhere they are placed, they represent God there. And last week, I thought quickly to just do some quick um, recap. I talked about some things. We're using Daniel as uh, the character we're studying for this month because I couldn't find anybody more iconic than Daniel. You know, it was just, I mean, to, to teach this message. Of course, Christ, Paul, all of them are accounted, but, you know, there was just the way the book of Daniel is put together that just teaches us all this principle of how to shine in a hostile world. So I said the first thing that happens about an icon is that the icon is usually placed in a kind of environment. And I described four characteristics of those environments. The first one is a humiliating environment. The icon is placed in a humiliating what? environment, an environment that wants to humiliate you, that wants to humiliate your God, that wants to make you ashamed of what you believe. An icon is placed in a hostile environment, an environment that is hostile. So Daniel was placed in Babylon. They were humiliated. You know, they, 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 you know the, temp, the things from the temple of God you know, was brought to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar humiliated, you know, Judah and, you know, brought them you know, brought them there. It was a hostile culture. The word Babylon, you know, the word used for it in the hotel is the word Shina, which means a growling beast, like hostile, you know, kind of place. Number three, it's, an, it's a hedonistic, hedonistic place, which means it's a place where pleasure is the main thing. You understand? Pleasure is what matters. Whatever pleases you, people pursue pleasure. And then it's a hidden place where God is not honored. So that looks like the places that we usually find ourselves. It looks like our places of work. It looks like our schools. It looks as a, like our environment. We're usually placed in those kind of places. Now, what people do is when they are placed there, there are some pressures that begin to come because of that environment. So I talked about those pressures. Daniel went through the same pressure. I talked about the pressure to fit. The pressure to fit. So they said, go and get some kids, those who are smart, those who are physic, you know, physically good, who look handsome, who look whatever, bring them there. So I'm sure I can just imagine when they are trying to choose them, people are trying to, you know, I want to go to the palace and all that. So the world will try to create certain standards for you through TV, through all that, for you to meet. You have to be this height. You have to be this thin. You have to be this fat. You cannot be more than this weight. You cannot be more than this height. You cannot wear your hair that way. You know, you cannot wear your shoes that way. You know, you need to change, you know, how you dress. You need to do all that. And what usually happens when the pressure comes is that Christians also try to fit. The pressure tries to mold us. Tries to mold us into his own mold. It's trying to make us like it is. I want you guys to know that you are going through that. Secondly, it's the pressure of fun comes. Fun is great, but sometimes fun is used to exert pressure. They tell you, at, they tell you some of your, your friends at work will tell you, you are not really enjoying life. You go to church, you do all this stuff. Come on, come on, have some fun. You know, let's go to the clubs on Sunday, you get drunk. There was, a, there, was a, there was somebody that told me one time, you know, and said that, you know, 
a friend, you know, a believer was telling us, like, you know what? Why are you, why are you so serious about all this church stuff? There's a club right beside your house. There are some cool guys in there that, you know, you get in there. You can have just some quick fun and, you know, you go back and do church. I'm talking about true story. True story. And the person was going through pressure. Was going through pressure. Was going through pressure to yield to that. And I said, no, 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 no. You don't yield to such a thing. That thing wants to destroy your destiny. Amen. That, you know, there are ways that you can have fun that doesn't destroy your destiny. You know, so that's why we need to create more sp- fun stuff. I mean, how many of you enjoy spicy night? Uh-uh. I enjoyed that. And that spicy night, that was the best spicy night in the most attended spicy night. And it's getting better and better. Amen. It's getting more and more fun. Amen. We had a comedian. We laughed and we're rolling on the floor. You know, just exaggerating. Amen. You know, it was, you know, it was, it was such a beautiful time. It was so much fun to do that. So we need some more clean fun. You know, that's why we still, AJ, we still have to create the clean club. Amen. That's the name of it. The clean club. Like a life development center initiative. The clean club. So you come in there and you have clean form. Amen. You can dance and go crazy, but clean crazy. <laughs> a lot of people are going through pressure. So it was food that they used there. They just, ah, they showed them all the meat and everything. All the other people, apart from Daniel and his mates, they all started eating. Ah! Free food! They just did a slave and everything. Look at this meat, the king's meat and everything. The guys were just eating and all that. But Daniel, mm, we'll get to that. So the pressure of fun. And then finally, the pressure to forget. You know that was? They changed their names. They changed their names from the names that their parents gave them. So from the names that their parents gave them, you will see that their parents believed in God because all those names had God attached to it. But they changed their name to the name of the gods of, of uh, what they call it, of um, Babylon. So that as they call them that name, they will forget their true roots. The world will try to give you names. The world will try to call you by certain labels just so that you can forget your roots. You are going to go through pressure to forget the fact that you are a Christian. You know, I I wrote something. I said the world is always the culture. uh, Sorry. uh, How do I put it? I said the culture will always try to blot out your distinctive as a Christian. Always try so that you, you, you just look exactly like everybody and then, you know, you feel. And then once they change, see, once they change your, your phone, once they put the pressure, and then the other pressure is the pressure of facts. I will say facts. They will give you alternative facts. So they took Daniel and began to train Daniel in the language and the history of the Babylonians. Not the language and the history of where we came from. The language and the history of the Babylonians. In other words, we're going to change your facts so that you will forget yourself. So sometimes you go through certain trainings, you go through certain things, they'll present certain facts to you. They do it through TV, they do it through books, they do it through all kinds of stuff so that you change your facts. And I've seen some believers change their facts. They no longer believe in the Bible anymore. They've changed their facts. Oh yeah, the Bible is true in some areas, but it may not be true in some areas. Oh, you know, I I used to believe in that, but I don't believe in that anymore. And once your facts are changed, your future is changed. Your feeling is changed. Once your facts are changed, your feelings are changed, your future is changed. That was what they were trying to do to Daniel. They wanted to change him. They wanted to turn all those kids into something else. Somebody say after me, say, I will not succumb to the pressure of the culture. So now what did they do? So I call it the Icons Playbook, which I will, I will give you one, some more playbook today. The Icons Playbook. So what did Daniel do? The first one is the icons pledge. This is just a revision. The icons pledge. 
He said, Daniel decided or purposed in his heart that I would not defile myself with a portion of the king's meat. Then I decided I'm not going to be that person on social media. No, I'm not going to be that person who hides and does all those stuff anymore. I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be that. He said he decided. He starts with a decision. You need to start with a decision. Amen. You need to start with a decision. That I'm not going to be, I'm not going to allow the culture to pressurize me. If, if, you don't start, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. And then the icon's pursuit. Now, because you are in the world, you can't take yourself out of the world. So what they were trying to make them do to learn all those things, Daniel decided, and his, and his friends, they decided to go after that thing, to pursue it, so that they can learn about the culture, so that eventually they can be able to influence the culture. So you can actually take the facts that they are giving you. You become better at them at the facts, in a sense, while you maintain your identity in Christ. Amen. And then you are able to use what you know in Christ to refute the facts. And then the final thing there uh, for last week was the icon's peculiarity. There is nothing like excellence. When you excel, when you, they see your family, they see your life at work, they see you, that there's just something different about you. There's di something different about how you handle pressure. There's something different about how you love people. There's something different about how you, de you deal with things. People will come to you. My wife experiences that a lot. You know, at our place of work, they will, people will come in, they will gather and, you know, and talk to her. That, you know, there's a peace, there's a calm about you. There's a way, there's a glow about you. That, you know, the way you just handled it, we've observed you and all that. When she left the place of work temporarily one time, some people were so sad. When she came back, there was so much rejoicing. After, you know, over a year, she came, people were rejoicing. There, you, you can, just the way you handle life can be inspiring to people. They said they, they look for all the people, all the, all the other students, all the wise people in the whole of Babylon. They said out of all of them, Daniel and his company and those four kids, they were ten times better. So as a Christian, one of the ways you become an iconic person is to be the best in your place of work, to be the best in your academics, to be the best in the way you handle things, to be the best in your family, to be the best that you can be. To, be the, to excel does not mean that you are trying to beat somebody else. It means you are trying to beat yourself. Always keep on improving yourself. Always get better and better in everything that you do. And you will become what? You will become an iconic believer that people will look to and they will ask you questions. They will ask you questions on Facebook, and they will say, you know what? I will see the things you post. Is that really true? Can I come to your church? And then that's when you have the opportunity to, uh, to share with them about Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on. Do you guys get that? So that was a quick revision. Today, I want to talk to you about one, uh, one other aspect of Daniel, and we're moving to Daniel chapter 2 now. We have 12 chapters in Daniel. Hopefully, for the six weeks, as we're preparing for Easter, I'll be able to cover to cover it. We're praying for a big Easter. But, you know, we're going to be getting more information about that. We're going, all of us are going to, you know, reach out. We're going to become iconic. We're going to reach out. We're going to touch people. We're going to uh, bring people to church. We're going to lead people to Christ. Amen. So we're going to Daniel chapter 2. And today, I want to talk about um, one other playbook of the icon, which I title um, the icon, the icon something, something. Okay, now they've messed up my, it was not stapled well. God bless you. Okay, three. The icon, a problem solver. The icon, what? 
a problem solver. So in Daniel chapter 2, let's, let's just do a quick Bible study together. Daniel chapter 2, let me give you the quick summary. Daniel chapter, uh, verse one, chapter 2 verse 1 tells us how Daniel chapter 1. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed as they stood before the king. He said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Amen. I must know what it means. So, what happened? Daniel... And his friends, they were brought to the place they've studied for some years. And then suddenly, the king has a problem. The king has a problem. There's something that the king must do. The king has what? A problem. So my first point today, problems calling. Problems calling. I want you guys to know that... To be an iconic believer, you have to become a problem solver. But the problems are not scarce. The problems are everywhere. And they are what? They are calling you. Daniel did not have to create the problem <laughs> to solve, to be iconic. No. The problem what? The problem created itself, or whatever. The problem was there, waiting for him. And listen, what I discovered as I was studying this thing is that the problem that Nebuchadnezzar, the problems that Nebuchadnezzar faced, the problem he faced right now, is very similar to the problems that the world, the culture that we are in right now also faces. I say, Pastor, are you telling me that people are dreaming in the culture and we have to go and interpret their dreams? No, I'm saying that look a little bit deeper. So first of all, let's look at it. King Nabu, uh, from verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that, that he couldn't sleep. Do you know, so the first problem is people's doubts, restlessness, and confusion. That's number one problem that is available for us to solve right now. People's doubts, restlessness, and confusion. Do you know how many people that you know, family members, co-workers, friends, and all that, that they are confused about one thing or the other. People are confused about their history. They're confused about their identity. They're confused about their faith. They're confused about their marriage. They're confused about their confusion. <laughs> people are confused. If you talk to people, if you are somebody who receives, you know, questions from people and all that, you see how people are confused. Some things that you feel that you have, you've got it down, you've answered that question. People still have that question. People, people have a lot of questions now. It is an opportunity. The questions are an opportunity. Even if you make it your ministry, listen, if you make it your ministry to just be answering questions online, you'll be a successful minister. <laughs> There's so many questions. In fact, there are websites created for questions. Quora and all that. People just throw it in there. And then somebody will go there and be answering and they get points and all that. There are so many questions in Chicago. There are so many questions all around. 
What about becoming a question, somebody who answers people's questions and dissolves doubts? That's one of the ways to becoming iconic. The second thing that I see that is very similar to the problems now, the problem that Nebuchadnezzar had that is very similar to what people have right now. Now, after he was confused, right, and he was stressed, he couldn't sleep. Do you know how many people can't sleep? And people are worried and concerned about their life that they can't sleep. They can't rest. They are restless. And you have an answer. You have an answer. You can give them one thing. Maybe a book, one of those books that you've gotten, or, you know, some electronic book that you've gotten, you put somewhere that you can give it to somebody, and that will cure that restlessness. A lot of people are restless and confused. It's opportunities. Now, the second thing that you will see there was that he called all his astrologers. So he calls them, and he says, okay, I had a dream. I want you guys to interpret the dream for me, but I'm not going to tell you the dream. Why was he not going to tell them the dream? Because he said, look at it, verse, uh, from verse 7 to 9. The, the people said, please, your majesty, please tell us the dream. And we will tell you what it means. He says, the king replied, I know what you are doing. You are stalling for time. Because you know I am serious. <laughs> when I say, keep moving. When I say, the king, no, when I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. So you have conspired to tell me lies. Hoping I will change my mind. But tell me the dream, and then I will know that you can tell me what it means. The guy was skeptical about established institutions. Well, there are some balloons there, you know, that are popping. You know, the Holy Spirit is moving there in preparation for Ella's baby shower. No, bridal shower, not baby. Not baby, 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 bridal, okay. Okay. <laughs> Amen. Do, do you guys see what I'm saying? He was skeptical of established institutions. These astrologers and all that were the people that usually give him advice. But he says, I'm not going to tell you my secret because I know you guys are going to deceive me. Do you know that there are many people right now that are skeptical about the church? They're skeptical about organized religion. They are skeptical about everything. They are skeptical about the news media. They are skeptical about the government. They are skeptical about even. They are skeptical about everything. The moment you approach them and you look a particular way, they already look at you and they say it's one of those deceivers. It's one of those deceivers. And some of you, you still buy into the stereotype, the old old time religion. Now, when I say old-time religion, I'm not talking about, you know, staying by the faith. I'm talking about, you know, the, 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 the uh, what do you call it? The message remains the same, but the method must change. God never says you have to keep using the same method. You use methods that allow the message to get to people. The method and the means must change. That's a mistake by our robot. You must always change the method. There was time he was getting on TV. People were criticizing him. Now, have you gone on TV? He was the first person to go on TV. All the religious people were criticizing him. That you are going to the devil's box. Yeah, we, we're supposed to go into the devil's box. The method and the means may change. The message must never change. Because people are skeptical. People are skeptical. And we have been called to deliver, to save, and to proclaim the gospel to a lost world. And we keep going the same way, in a way that even when they see, the moment they see you, they're not even going to listen to your message. The same approach. Skepticism of institutions. People are skeptical of pastors now. So maybe, maybe people that, that can be more People that can be more relevant right now, that can be more effective in evangelism, they better not have pastor at the back of their names. 
Let the pastor stay in the church and teach people. <laughs> Amen. Let some other people go in there. You know, because you're, you're, the person who is at work may be able to listen to you better than they will listen to a pastor. Because they already have somewhat prejudice against pastors. Oh, all they want is money. All they want is money. I tell people, if you want to do a profession that is going to make you money, better not choose to be a pastor. You'll be disappointed. <laughs> it's just a myth. It's a serious what? Myth. Pastors are the poorest people. Because you see three or four pastors junk, you know, going around in a private jail. Pastors are the poorest people in the world. God have mercy on pastors. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be. Amen. <laughs> That's why pastors have to do some other things, amen, <laughs> you know, to augment, amen. But people just have all those things. But people have some prejudice. But what, how about you? They don't have any prejudice against, prejudice against you. You can preach it, amen. Isn't that true? So there's, there's a lot of skepticism. They think that we're too judgmental. They think we'll do all that. You can, Bible says, be wise as serpent and harmless as dove. You can penetrate all those places and sit down with them because you ride with them, you walk with them, you live with them. Your kids are in the same school. You can be there. You can show love and you can break down the skepticism. Similar problem. Then the next thing there is failure of one's reliable support system. So, Nebuchadnezzar had had relied on these guys for his guidance whenever he had a problem. But then suddenly all of them came. They said, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, oh king, live forever, but we can't solve this problem. In fact, they said it this way, you know, and that's, you know, in connection with my other, my my other point, which, you know, uh, is they said, look at it, Daniel chapter 2 verse 10. Daniel 2 verse 10. There, they says, they replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king this dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. This problem, this thing that you are telling us to do, it is beyond human capacity. It is, you know, our system cannot handle it. There are many people right now that the doctors have told them, this disease that you have right now, there is no medical cure for it. There are people around us. That the lawyers have told them, and I've said that this, this, this uh, legal issue that you have, I don't think there is an easy solution. This immigration issue that you have, there's no easy solution. This is your relationship issue. Ah, uh, This is your marriage. I think there's no hope for you. The experts have told them that there is no solution. That is what Nebuchadnezzar was going through. He was going through confusion. He had distrust of the system, and the system was telling him, that this is impossible. You can never get a solution to this. I'm here to tell you that the church of Jesus Christ is still the solution provider. And there's nothing that the kingdom of God cannot do. There's no sickness that cannot be healed. There's no situation that cannot be solved. Because we serve a God that is beyond all the means of this world. We have access to means beyond ourselves. Marriages can be turned around. Lives can be turned around. Criminals can be saved. Children can be transformed. Where what children can be transformed? Your life can be transformed. Your legal system can be solved. Your legal issue, your medical issue can be solved. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And then let me give you some other problems. I will just, because of time, I will just run. Three, there are three of them again that Nebuchadnezzar said. Number one. People hold the other people responsible for their own problems. Can you imagine? The astrologers and Daniel were not the one that had the dream. It was the king that had the dream. 
And the king is now saying, if you don't interpret my, interpret my dream, I'll kill you. What kind of a thing is that? Am I the one that dreamt for you? But I've experienced that. Do you know how many people right now that they're going through a problem and they're blaming people? You know, I, I usually, when people are talking, they blame the church. You know, the reason why I'm going through this thing is because of the church. The reason I'm going through this thing is because of a pastor. The reason why I'm going through this thing is because of you. It's because of you. In other words, they are going through a problem, but one of the ways they try to defend themselves from taking responsibility and to protect themselves and feel good is to try and transfer you know, the problem to another person and say, you are the cause of it. Listen, let me tell you something. As a believer, you are going to take, people are going to blame you for a lot of things that are going on in the world. And it's not really your fault. So Nebuchadnezzar was transferring his problem. I will kill you if you don't interpret my own dream. <laughs> if I was one of the astrologers, I'm just the king. Oh God, just that those kings are terrible. They will just cut your head off. So <laughs> be careful. Say, king, are you the one? Aren't you the one that dreamt? Why are you trying to put the problem on me? You are the one that had a dream. Okay, go back and dream again and ask for the interpretation. Why are you killing me? I have children too. I have my own dreams too. Sometimes I feel like saying that. I feel like saying that. Why are you blaming everybody? You are the one that married the person. You are the one that chose the person. I just, I'm just, I don't want to get into it. Amen. Then finally, ex- existential threat to everyone. There are some problems that are floating around that are existential threats to what? To everyone. So Daniel did not dream. Daniel was not among all those astrologers, but Daniel was wise. He was known as wise. And then while he was there in, this, in whatever, they said, the king has issued a decree. And that decree is that everybody who is wise in this land is going to be killed. Now, if you kill all the wise people in your land, you're only left with foolish people. <laughs> Everybody's going to be killed. So there are some problems that become existential threats to everybody. But as you will see, you know, there are some things going on right now. Coronavirus and all that. All those things are what? They are threats. But let me say something, which is my point number two. As I begin to round up. <laughs> Number two, problem chances. Everybody say problem chances. Regardless of the nature or of the cause, problems are divine setups for icons. You know that was whether it's the devil that caused the people that caused it, or even God that did it, like the one he did. This one, he was the one that put the dream inside the Nebuchadnezzar. They are what divine setups. They are divine setups. Everybody say after me, say problems are opportunities. Problems are the things that make you remember people. Do you get what I'm saying? Nobody remembers anybody that didn't solve any problem. There are only two sets of people remember. Those who cause problems and those who, those who solve problems. <laughs> those are the people you remember in your life. The one that caused you big problems, you never forget them. And the one that solved your problem, you never. And in this world right now, if I, if I mention Al Capone, you remember him because he caused problem. And if I mention Martin Luther King Jr., you remember him because he what? He solved problems. Please, everybody look at me. Everybody say, problems are my opportunities to shine, to be an icon. The bigger the problem that I solve, the greater the shining, the more iconic I become. I mean, who, think of this. A Moses 
without an oppressed people needing to be freed. And then they needed to be regulated with laws after they were freed. There will be no Moses. A Noah without an ark to build to save the people. What about a David without Goliath? You won't remember him. What about an Esther without a threat to destroy our people? What about Jesus without a world to save? What about the prophets who didn't face, who, who didn't have any wayward people that they need to prophesy to and kings that they need to speak, that they need to speak to, powers that they need to speak to? What about Peter without a church to shepherd and to build his foundation? Where will Paul be without the heathen Gentile world to bring the gospel to and churches to encourage and to correct through his writings? Where will MLK be without segregation and Jim Crow? Are, you, are we going to be having MLK there? He'll probably be just one, one of the people that lived. Just one old person now. If there was no virus, I'm sorry, bacterial stuff, where will, where, where will Alexander, Alexander Fleming that invented the first uh, antibiotic, penicillin? We won't remember the person, but the person solved the problem for the world. Ah, what about Beyonce? There are no women who are, who are bored. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you is that problems are opportunities. Everybody say problems are opportunities. I teach it in the life training. I say, you know, I said, don't, you know, be like David. When David saw Goliath, he's like, wow, this guy is too big to miss. He's too big to miss. The, the lion was a little bit tougher when I killed the lion. The bear was a bit tougher, but this one is too big for me to miss. So he ran towards Goliath. The bigger the problem, the bigger the impact. If you want to be an iconic Christian, find a problem to solve. Find what? A problem to solve. And the problems are plenty all around us. Find a problem to solve. Become a problem solver. Start solving problems. You will become iconic. When we came to Chicago, I saw certain things in Chicago, and I came into Chicago, and I said, I'm coming to Chicago. I came with $150. I left all my, all my clothes, apart from the one that I wore, and I came in with a bag of books. That's how I entered into O'Hare. And I got into O'Hare, and I looked at this. It was snowing. I said, is this the America? And then I came to Chicago. <laughs> and then I began to go to the south side, whatever. And then I tried to myself, I'm here. I remember my, the first message I preached in the United States was this message about Daniel. You remember? You know, we sat down in the room and I preached about Daniel. You know, that was my first message in the United States. And I told everybody, say, can we be Daniels in this country? That was my first message in the United States. Can we be Daniels in this country? Can we create things that have never existed before? Can we touch people? Can we make a difference? I'm here to tell you the same, that you can make a difference. You can make a difference. And by the way, I'm here to announce to you that today is exactly my 18th day. It's my 18th year in the United States. I arrived March 8, 2002. That's when I came into the United States. Today is the exact 18th year exactly. And since that 18th year, I made up my mind to be a problem solver. That's what I have been doing. 
I'm telling you, no matter how you came, I couldn't walk. I couldn't do so many things, amen, because I was still working on my status and all that. But I began to solve problems. What do I have in my house? Began to point into other people. I'm calling all of you to become icons. Icons, icons. Somebody say icons. Icons. Iconic believers. Iconic believers. Finally, problem confronting. The last thing there. Problem confronting. Problem confronting. So how do you... Let me, give you one, let me give you one simple thing as a hand. How to begin to confront problems. Remember, my point number one was what? Problem what? Calling. Point number two was problem? Chance, ch chances, right? Opportunities. And then problem what? Confronting. How do you confront problems? How did Daniel do it? How did Daniel do it? This is very important. They said in Daniel 2.14, Daniel chapter 2 verse 14, when Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, <laughs> the problem came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and what? Discretion. So, listen, to solve problems, you need wisdom and what? Discretion. Number one, discretion is choosing, right? The ability to choose well, right? So meaning that it is not every method that you can use to solve a problem, and it is not every problem that you have to call to solve, right? Wisdom is the ability to do the right things, the right way, at the right time. And that only comes from God. So for example, right now, somebody might say, okay, ah, Pastor Lam preached about iconic, so I'm just going to, I'm going to, you know, go do something. No, no, you need to know the exact thing you need to do. And there's one secret thing that Daniel used here to solve this problem and that brought his reward. And it was a simple thing that I want to end this message with. Daniel learned to become, I mean, Daniel became iconic, an iconic problem solver by asking. Everybody say asking. Somebody say asking. I'm going to show you quickly. There were seven asks. It's wisdom. There were seven asks that he makes, and the seven asks solved the problem. And I'll tell you what you got to do. The first thing, we're going to run through it quickly. The first one, Daniel asked, first of all, to understand the problem better. Daniel asked to understand what? The problem better. You can see it, you know, the scripture there. It says, he asked Ariok, the king issued such a harsh decree. So why did the king issue such a hard decree? And Ariok told him all that happened. So they came to kill him. He, he started responding by questions. So first of all, he asked to understand the question better. Many people try to solve problems that they don't even understand. You don't even understand it. You've not spent time to talk to the people. What is the root of the problem? You've not taken time to do some research. To know what exactly is going on. You're just jumping in there. You are providing solutions that don't match the problem. Because you don't know the problem. So we must develop asking. I tell myself the past 18 years of my being in the United States has been asking. When I came, I didn't understand the culture. I didn't understand anything. I went to Moody Bible Institute. I was asking, can you show me this city? They took me around the old city. I understand the city better. I understand it now. I kept on asking questions from this place to that place, from that place. Even through my experiences of pastoring, I was asking questions. I was asking questions. Now I feel that I'm at a point where God is about to do something amazing. 
based on the questions that have been asked and answered. You ask, you learn. I did a PhD, I did all that. I was just trying to learn. How do I take what I know in scriptures and touch the people of this land? You ask. Number two, Daniel asked for time. Daniel asked for what? For time. Solving problems takes time. There's some problems that you can solve very fast, very easily. Do you get what I'm saying? But there are some that is going to require some time. It's going to require some patience. It's going to require some, you know, some things you need to do. Don't rush. To be an icon, it is not just something that you, do, that you become in one day, two days, or three days. or what's, It's something you have to commit yourself to. You have to commit yourself to life, for life, for becoming an icon. You're going to say, this is what I'm going to live for. I'm going to commit myself fully. And so I'm, going to, I'm going to take whatever time is, it, it needs, whatever time it takes for me to be able to do this. So he asks for time. So don't be in a rush. Do you get what I'm saying? Don't rush in your marriage because you are there first year, second year, and you are going through problems. No, 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 no. That's the time of problem in marriage. The first three years, four years, that's when you, you almost kill yourselves. I'm not giving you permission to fight, but I'm just telling you the fact. Because you are discovering that you're married, the person you married is not the person that you thought you married. You are in, the, you are in the, the third ring of marriage. After the engagement ring and the wedding ring, you are in the discovering. And then you move to suffering. And then if you hold on to the persevering, you will eventually enter into prospering. And then you become, you enter into mentoring. Amen. So see where your three rings, Amen. There are other rings that are coming. Don't quit in the first year. Don't quit in the first two years. Don't quit in the first three years. It's going to get better. It's going to get better because you are going to get better. You are not going to fight about the things you used to fight about. But there will be some, you just look at something and say, this can never be solved forever. Let me just continue living my life. So marriages. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? Ask for time. Number three, because of my time. I don't want to ask for time. <laughs> Daniel asked for help from his friends. I tell people, don't go about confronting problems except you are in a small group. Don't go about trying to confront problems except you have a company of people. The problem will conquer you. Everybody needs an army. Everybody needs a company. Everybody needs intercessors. Everybody needs people that you can come back and say, you know, I've got beaten by the Sanhedrin and they will join with together with you and pray. Don't try to go and start something for the kingdom of God when you don't have people that you can share with. That's why we encourage small groups, leading light, all these things that we're doing. Make sure you are part of a company. Make sure there are people who are taking care, who are covering your children, who are covering your spouses, who are helping you as you're going about solving problems. Never ever underestimate, underestimate the power of having a supporting body, a supporting village around you. Stop letting the devil take you away from your village. Stop letting the devil make you fight your village. Run to your village when you go through problems and they will cover you. Daniel, he told his friend, let's pray to God. And Daniel asked for help from God. Next one. Daniel did what? Asked for help from what? You cannot solve the problem by your own natural ability. Daniel had the gift. There's a difference between the gift and the anointing. 
The anointing can walk upon your gift. There are certain gifts that you can operate in, right? Get a kind of anointing. But there's sometimes when something will come upon you to solve a bigger problem that your gift cannot solve. Daniel had the gift of interpretation, but he couldn't solve that. He had to cry out to God and say, God, they're coming to kill us. Could you just tell me what did this guy dream? There's something beyond the capacity of your current, beyond, of, sorry, beyond your current capacity. God has the answer. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's ask God for a solution. Let's pray for the solution. Let's pray for the solution. Go to God and say, show me what I need to do concerning this problem. How do we reach these people? How do I address this thing? Show me. There's a wisdom that you have. And they said the secret was revealed to him in a night vision. Daniel asked to help solve the problem. Daniel asked, please move. Daniel asked to help solve the problem. So when he received the vision, when he received it, you know, show the verse, he quickly went there to meet Ariel. He went into Ariel and said, you know, uh, whom the king had to, he said, don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king. And I will tell him the meaning of his dream. So even when you have a solution, do you get what I'm saying? One thing is to have a solution. One thing is for you to provide the solution. One thing is for you to ask people, can I help you? Can I help you? I have this answer. There's some things that God has taught me. You, you must develop the habit of asking people, how can I help you? What can I do to help you? How can I solve it? Be start asking to solve problems. Start asking to solve problems. I will tell you the meaning of your dreams. Come to me. I will tell you because God has touched me. Become a problem solver by asking people who need your help. Final, uh, two more. Daniel asked the king to acknowledge God. When he got to the king, he said, okay, all your people have failed, but I want you to know this thing. You have to know that. Only God can answer this one. Only what? In other words, when you are solving problems, don't make it about yourself. Tell them it is God. Make them know that it is God that is doing it. And finally, after he was solved, and Daniel was rewarded, finally, Daniel asked for more opportunities for his network to become iconic problem solvers. Look at the verse. They said the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all his wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. So in other words, he said, you know what? I have a company of people too. They solve problems too. You are elevating me, bring all of them. This is why whatever problem you are solving, involve the church. Do you get what I'm saying? Tell them, I'm solving this problem in this neighborhood, but you know what? I'm part of a company of people. I'm part of a company of people and they're all problem solvers. In fact, I have some people that can solve some other problem that I cannot solve. I have someone that can solve this one for you that I cannot solve. Integrate the people into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can grow. So that they can, they can, they can, become, they can become problem solvers too. They need to be part of a family that will stand with them, that wear them through so that you can continue solving problems. That is how to become a problem solver. How many of you receive it today? Do you receive it? Come on, let's rise up on our feet right now. Hallelujah. Let's rise up on our feet. Did you receive something today? Now lift up your hand and repeat with me very quickly. Say, I am an icon. Say, I'm, a, I'm an icon for Christ. I am created to be iconic, to reflect God, to show God 
to show for the praises of God, to let people know that there's a solution beyond what the world has to offer. And I declare today that I am going to be a problem solver. Thanks for listening to The Globe Podcast. We trust you were blessed and inspired. For more contents from Dr. Land, visit our website at www.pastorland.com and follow at Pastor Land on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Keep glowing. See you next time.